I'm Becky, and welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast, where we explore motherhood from a Christian perspective through women's stories and wisdom to help us remain the salt of the earth in today's culture. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast. I hope you're all having a good week and are enjoying sort of being three, four weeks into um, the back to school or college or, or whatever you've got routines I know I certainly am and this week the kids being back at school left me with a really good opportunity um so I pre-children used to love going to theme parks and doing all the big rides and I mentioned this to a friend recently and saying how annoying it was that you don't get to go on those rides when you have small children as I do so she suggested that we go so we did so we dropped the kids off at school um and drove to Thorpe Park which is not far from from us and we had an absolute blast going on all the big roller coasters and chatting and yeah just doing something completely out the normal and not what a day as um, a mum you would normally expect. Um, I've got to admit uh, rides were a little bit faster than I remembered. I had a little bit of a headache after some of them but I still enjoyed every minute and um, I really... Um, would support the idea that if you want to have a little adventure when your kids are at school one day and you have the privilege of having a day off to do it, go do it. Just go and enjoy yourself and do something totally out the normal. Now, a key topic in in any discussion about motherhood is that of adoption and fostering. And it's one I was really keen to cover as soon as possible. And thankfully, the lovely Claire Halewood, who's going to be today's guest from Home for Good, uh, was willing to come on and chat to us about this issue. And it's been lovely because I recorded this episode ages ago. It's been lovely listening it to it, to it again. And she just oozes passion for this topic. And the state of the care system in the UK, which if you've seen Joe Swash's documentary recently, that was on BBC, um, like many other systems in the UK at the moment, uh, is, is creaking if, if not in crisis. And it, it is therefore an issue of social justice to, to address this problem. And I therefore think there's so much opportunity as Christians to be salt and light into this situation, whether that's by supporting charities like Home for Good and their their ag- advocacy towards MPs and, and um, decision makers in this area, whether it's by thinking about adoption and fostering for yourselves, or whether it's just by supporting those that you know who have cared for children in their houses um, so that they feel able, have the energy, the, the resources to be able to carry on the very important job that they're doing in our society um, for these children. Anyway, I hope you're inspired by it as much as I was um, and talking to Claire. Um, if you have any thoughts and comments, feel free to send them our way. Our contact details um, are on the show notes. Hi, Claire. Hello. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good. Have you been have you got a busy week this week? Well, we're recording this during the end of school term, so there's a little bit of end of schoolitis as I like to call uh, it in my house yeah. right now, and I'm never entirely convinced that each child has gone in wearing the correct clothing, <laughs> carrying the correct items. Um I sent the boys my sons in with the wrong lunch boxes and bottles the other week. Uh, oh, no. So, um but you know, I think today we're all okay. So, oh, we'll see at the end of the day. 
I know. I think I swear schools um, sort of uh, keep about fifty calendar events for the <laughs> the last month of school, and it sort of becomes almost a full time job managing, managing. There was a dress up as a pirate day and bring your homemade sea drum. Um, oh, and wow. I have never heard of sea drums before, uh, <laughs> and enjoyed very much that moment in the WhatsApp. Uh, conversation where <laughs> all of the parents and carers are going, what the heck is a sea drum? Who's going to make one? Don't anybody make a great one because we're all just going to get butter, like margarine tubs and um, paper and stuff. But yeah. Okay, I'm going to look at what, what a sea drum is now after this. <laughs> well, you won't be, yeah, prepare to be underwhelmed. But... Okay, I will be, yeah. <laughs> we've we've got end of termitis and I think I've got end of termitis right now because um, I love having the boys home for the summer holidays, but I know the house is going to be chaos for six weeks. Mm. Um, and I've spent that. I think I've done a rookie mistake. And you're you're a mum of four, so you're mm. you've probably got more wisdom on this than me. I've spent the whole morning having a really good tidy, and I'm like, what What was the point? What actually? Mm. What's the point? Because <laughs> in a week's time, it's just going to be. <laughs> yeah all that work could be undone when I when I could have maybe spent a morning enjoying the garden in peace or yes, reading a yes. book or something like that I sometimes think I wish I could you could sort of bank those times where you have long sleep or you have time and you're to then sort of be able to drip feed it through a season like the summer holidays where you don't get any um, of those uh, times together uh, on your own or whatever so, but unfortunately you can't well I've never figured out how to anyway no <laughs> If anyone has any ideas, please yes. fit them our way. <laughs> please do. I'd be so interested. <laughs> so um, Claire lives in Worcester. She is a former youth worker and um, is involved with Freedom Church in Worcester. She has four children. And um, today she's talking to us in her capacity of as director of content from um, for the charity Home for Good. So um, welcome. And um Maybe do you want to fill that fill us in on a few details? Tell us a bit more about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I've been married now for nearly twenty three years, and Ooh. I know I, which is a real achievement for my husband, probably mainly. Um, oh. But <laughs> we have got four children. We've got daughters who are nearly sixteen and fourteen, and sons who are just ten and five. And we have also in the past fostered and uh, cared for teenagers through supported lodgings, which I'm sure I'll get to talk about um, a little bit later on. My background's in youth work, and that's important because I stinking love teenagers. And as a mother now to teenagers, I still love teenagers, though I'm not sure that I thought, not sure I'm as cool a mum as I thought I might be when I was doing youth <laughs> work full time. And I'm completely sure that my daughters do not think of me as a cool mum uh, all of the time. Um, but I love teenagers. I love the local church. We led, my husband and I led, planted and led a church um, up until about a year ago uh, together and still a part of that church, got the privilege of handing it on. Um, but the job I get to do now kind of brings together these areas of my life that I've uh, really passionate about the local church um, sort of representing who Jesus is and how he calls us to live um, adoption fostering caring for children and young people who so need um, a place to be loved and call home and stuff um, and uh, then also the the kind of the youth work side of things that love of teenagers that hasn't quite left me um, so yeah that's kind of that's a little bit about uh, who I am that's beautiful. And I, I share that love of teenagers with you. And 
I used to be a teacher and I think um, a lot of people like when, when you say you're a secondary school teacher, they kind of grimace and that, and <laughs> And I had to spend a week in a primary school for as part of my teacher training. And oh my goodness. It's the it's the like little clambering hands on you going, miss, 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 miss. I was like, no, yeah. I couldn't do this ever. But yeah. um and because of that, I now help out with youth at our local church because um I just think spending time with teenagers is such a privilege. But I and am much maligned, <laughs> right? I think they're much maligned and much um, I think we can kind of all of the ills of society have always been put on the younger generation. And I think yeah. now is no exception to that. You know, people talk about, oh, everything are terrible about social media. Of course, there's loads to be concerned about and blah, 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 all of that stuff. But actually, there's loads of creativity and hilarious stuff that's connected with the kind of the creativity that comes with that generation. So, um, mm, yeah. yeah, I I think there's an awful lot to be said for them. And also, I think if there's some stuff that's not quite right with the generation rising, then we have to take a bit of responsibility for that as well. Absolutely, right? <laughs> absolutely, yeah, I'm, yeah, totally agree with you with that. So, how did you become involved with Home for Good? So Home for Good, um, our vision is to find a home for every child who needs one through fostering, adoption, and supported lodgings for teenagers. And so I started working for Home for Good oh, just over five years ago and then um, had a break to um, have um, our fourth child. I should say that we've got four children living with us at the moment, three of whom came to us through adoption, one is our birth child. Um, so our fourth, um, I had maternity leave, went off with our fourth. So I've been, but I've been around Home for Good for the last five years or so. And I love it because it's, as I said earlier, it sort of brings together uh, all these things that God has gifted our, for us with in terms of our family, things that I'm passionate about, the pursuit of justice outworked in like normal, everyday families like yours and mine probably, um, and the local church kind of being a, a, a part of that. So I started being involved for various in various kind of iterations of the organisation and now I get to be a part of the content team, which is kind of the creative team for um, for the, sort of the things that we do, and I absolutely love it. Um, but that's kind of, that was my journey in, that combination of what are we, what is it that God's called us to and the privilege that I get to contribute to something which is sort of outworked in my family and then I get sort of outwork in that sort of professional context is, is yeah, a huge privilege. Yeah, I can imagine it's a huge privilege. You can hear the passion in your voice. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. lovely. So what is the state of the care system in the UK currently and what is the the long-term outlook for kids who remain in the system or aren't adopted or, or fostered? So every 15 minutes in the UK, a child or young person comes into care. 15 minutes? Every 15 minutes, mm. yeah. And so I don't know how long this podcast will end up being. Probably three or four children will have come into care on average during the course of this. Listen, it's a staggering it's a staggering statistic and one that takes my breath away and I get to sort of live and work in, in this sector. And there they are 
predominantly taken care of in foster care homes around the UK. Some will be for a very short amount of time while support is put in place around birth families. And then brilliantly, sometimes that means that as that support is put in place, children can return to birth families or others within their birth family can uh, continue to look after them. Sometimes the longer term plan will be um, for fostering on longer term to enable contact um, and specialist care to be given. Sometimes the plan for permanence will be adoption. Supported lodging for teenagers is this thing that we're really wanting to encourage people to consider at the moment. It's a fostering light is probably not quite the description that I should use, but there's no parental responsibility within supported lodgings for teenagers. But you have a 16 to 19, 20 year old come and live in your home. You don't have parental responsibility for them, but you are able to be that bridge into adulthood with them because nobody should just age out of care. Nobody should um, get to 18 and find that they haven't got anybody who loves them and champions them and is around them. So that's something that kind of um, we're really passionate about because too many children and young people end up facing that situation the landscape and care has really changed over the last decade or so now 25 just over 25 percent of children that come into care are 16 or above and we simply don't have enough homes individuals couples families in the right places with the right skills to wrap around and care for these children and young people so you asked about the long-term um, outlook for children we know that a significant proportion of the adult male prison population is care experienced we know that a significant proportion of those adults who are homeless are care experienced we know that a significant number of those who are care experienced will go on to develop um, trouble with addiction to alcohol to to drugs and i love that the church is is passionate about intervening in prisons and stepping in and uh, wanting to support and care for um, people who are struggling with addiction who are homeless that's brilliant but but what if the church said I don't want to wait until somebody is 24, 34 and struggling in that place. What if we stepped in when they were two, five, eight, 13 and said maybe we could be a part of journeying with this child or young person to help support them, become all that they can be and to remove some of the obstacles that are naturally in their way. And maybe just maybe we could see a change in some of those statistics. Um, and that's why I'm passionate about what I do yeah absolutely and <clears throat> it's something that I'd really love to see across the whole of society not just with the church but this sort of bottom-up perspective rather than treating the symptoms treat the the root cause and um yeah I, I totally agree with you um <clears throat> and you've, you've talked a little bit about that but but why should the issue of care the care system fostering adoption be such an important one for the church? I think that the big story of the Bible is God inviting us to be family with him and to one another. There's this severed relationship that is at, you know, at the heart of 
what we need Jesus for. That relationship was broken. Jesus came to restore it. And throughout sort of that that big story of the Bible, it's Jesus inviting us in, in, in individual family stories. It's bringing restoration. In the big picture, it's bringing that restoration to our relationship uh, with him. But throughout the big story of the Bible, I also see God sort of acting and being as he is, a God of justice, who loves justice, who pursues it, who speaks on behalf of those who are oppressed, who speaks on behalf of those who are vulnerable, who hates injustice. You know, Isaiah chapter one, he goes... You know, it, it, there's a huge sort of rant about, listen, you can do all your worship services. You can do all your sacrifices. What what I care about is how you treat people who are the last, who are the least, who are the lost, the most vulnerable. The widows, the orphans would be how the Bible uh, might speak about it in some respects. And, and therefore, as somebody myself who wants to follow Jesus and wants to be more like him, I want to live a life that reflects one that is more like him. And so the pursuit of justice must be a part of that, not just something that I would pay lip service to, but something that costs me, something that I'm that, that I'd be willing, you know, that that I must be willing to kind of, yeah, to, to pursue wholeheartedly. And so with that lens on, pursuing a life, a, a pursuit of justice, every 15 minutes a child coming into care and they're not being enough individuals, couples, families to give that child the support and nurture that they need. That is an injustice that we have, we have got to do something about. And I, from the more I know of God, the more I think that his, and more I know of him, his heart is for those and so therefore mine should be and so I think I feel compelled to respond now I am not saying that everyone can or should foster or adopt absolutely not but the state of our care system the fact that it is crumbling that it's insufficient that there is such need in it it's a justice issue and therefore, we should care about it as Christians, as people who love God, who are members of church communities across the UK, small, medium, large. We should care about uh, this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's, you know, some of the stuff that you're just talking about, I sometimes look at my own kids and I think, and you just think of all they have, you know, and I'm no perfect mother at all. <laughs> I have my moments and um but when you think of all the nurture that they get and the lack of it that some kids are getting it yeah it actually, I, I sometimes actually can't face the thought of it. It's just it's just too sad. Um and just thinking about what what that means for their whole lives ahead of them. I mean as as a, as a teacher or ex teacher I was sort of taught a little bit about the impact of, um, you know, being a child of the the cared for system and and how that would impact their their education. And I think issues of justice are rarely simple, are they? They're often very multifaceted and complex. And in the case of children who end up in a system, I guess it's not just a case of the injustice that the people who are meant to care for them won't or can't. What are the issues of injustice that make this issue more complex or or harder to solve? 
Yeah, the problem I think sometimes with our society is that we are quite short term in in terms of our thinking and some of the challenges that children coming into care are there because of are systemic problems. So very often children who come into care, they are the birth children of parents who were brought into care. And had there been a care system, likelihood is that many of those grandparents would have been brought into care because there simply isn't enough support available and around individuals couples families in uh, to be able to help them to know how to and i i know that there are many things that i have learned some consciously and some unconsciously from my own parents about parenting and how to build and sustain a good relationship but if that's missing then it's very difficult to for people having children to know perhaps how to replicate that. How do, how do I raise children when I haven't got any great models around me? And so some of those problems are systemic and they're, they're unjust. The other thing is, is that there is a systemic racism in the care system as there is in so many of the systems in our nation. If you are a black boy in the UK care system, you are less likely to be adopted than anybody else. That's an injustice though the the number of black and minority ethnic children represented in the care system is disproportionate uh, to the the size of the population in the UK. And that's an injustice. And there is a a systemic problem in that respect as well. And so you're right to say there's lots of layers to this. It's really hard to solve, except that if we can be a part of making a difference if we can be a part of saying I'm going to stand up and do my bit like you talked about earlier bottom up as well as something that Home for Good does and takes really seriously is that opportunity to advocate in a political sphere to advocate for systemic change to to raise the issue of the need to care better for teenagers in the care system raising the, the the issue of racial disparity in the care system and saying we need to do something about this as well as from a grassroots level saying come on individuals couples families christians churches if what if we thought about these as our kids what if we thought about our families as being less boundaried our households as being a bit more like households in the bible where people are welcomed in where there's hospitality extended but what if we began to live a bit like that which is so countercultural to many of us but what if we started to do that i wonder if we might see some of that systemic change affected as we do it, those things kind of in collaboration or, or at the same time as one another. I love that vision. <clears throat> I really do. And it's funny because a lot of the systemic stuff which might have supported people a few years ago has gone now, hasn't it? And, um, you know, not to be too political, but, you know, due to austerity. And um, I was listening to a podcast recently with Angela Rayner, the, um, a deputy Labour leader um, being interviewed and she came from extremely poor background and she was saying that she didn't realise because her mum never did it that it's important to read to your child but she went to a sure start centre and they basically said you need to start reading to your, to your little boy you know and and um, I mean she's such an amazing example isn't she of mm. how systems can change mm. 
can change your life. And we also know that the impact of trauma on the developing brain is significant. So if we're talking about generation after generation, experiencing a lack of nurture, a lack of care, a lack of some of the things that we would want a sort of basic needs being met, the, the generational impact on brain development means that there's that obstacle to contend with as well. I remember when my little girls who are now 16 and 14, when they were sort of two and three, I remember my uh, three-year-old getting quite upset with me. We had we also had a 15-year-old living with us in a fostering arrangement at the time. And I remember in a very two-year-old kind of a way, two or three-year-old kind of a way, one of my daughters was getting very upset because I'd done the shocking thing of asking her to put her shoes on because we were going outside. I know, awful. Um, and what I was doing, was what I was trying to do was I was trying to oh I understand that you're upset oh you're so cross because you don't want to put your shoes on oh you know I was naming the feelings it was one of those those good moments of (laughs) handling those uh, emotions and you know naming and trying to help give her some emotional literacy some emotional language to kind of uh, to be able to frame what she was feeling that evening our 15 year old came back from whatever had gone on that evening and sort of recounted the details of what had gone on that night I was like my gosh Beck how did how do you feel about that and she went I don't know I was like oh what what do you mean you don't know and then in my brain I clicked what I now know what I know now that I didn't then is that actually she did not know the the words to express what she was feeling and so in a 15 year old appropriate way I found myself that evening doing what I was doing with my two and three year old earlier in the day about very very different issues but actually the same foundation was needed the language around I was really annoyed because xyz I felt really worried all of those things had been missing. And so if you imagine that being repeated from generation to generation, actually, it's unsurprising that we find men and women becoming parents without the without the capacity to know how, and certainly without the support and understanding to be able to raise and love and give appropriate care to. And that is not to say that that excuses where people make decisions and choices, which puts children and young people in danger. But I think it's very easy to vilify um, and say they're the baddies and we're the goodies. And I, I don't, we don't want any part of that. I'm not interested in being perceived as some kind of savior that's not what this is about at all it's about under sort of trying to understand the complexity of it all and saying what's my part in a really imperfect world and system and what might we be able to do that makes a difference for all involved Mm, absolutely so tell us a little bit more about that system then so tell us a little bit about the difference between adoption and fostering and um I can't remember. Supported lodging. Supported lodging. And maybe having in mind um, people who might be thinking about going into one of these Mm. areas. Mm. So fostering is when you welcome a child into your home on a short term. But there's all kinds of different types of fostering. But it's the two sort of main ones would be a short term foster care and a long term foster care. A short term can be anything from 24 hours up to two years. The 
big caveat on that two years is that it's a it's a system which is sort of heaving at the seams and so um it can sometimes extend uh beyond that but that is the the sort of the the scope of a short-term foster carer and you as a foster carer share parental responsibility with the local authority that has uh, responsibility for that child and your job is to care for to love to have in your home and family that child for as long as they need until they're able to find until a plan is made around what's best for permanence the the thing that Ideally, everyone is working towards is what is the best long term permanent solution for this child so they've got stability and security and love and don't have to move 27 times throughout the next 10 years of their life. That's the perfect, you know, that's the ideal. It's unfortunately an imperfect system. But foster carers kind of stand in that gap. Um, and so emergency foster carers, maybe though, will get though a call at 11 o'clock at night where unfortunately a child in emergency circumstances has needed to be brought into care and will need somewhere to stay. And that could be um, a any age child or young person there are those who specialize in taking care of really quite poorly babies after they are born while assessments are done and can this could this child return to birth family is there support that could be put in place in order to enable that to happen um or um or not long-term foster care is a little more like adoption would be it's a longer term the clues in the in the in the title and really it's for the duration of that child's childhood again until 18 is the is the current system and when a child is older an older child in the care system is deemed as a sort of four or five year old plus it's very unlikely that children that age or above are going to be adopted unfortunately and so where there is no opportunity for that child to return to both family where it's not safe um, to do so. That child may, there may be a sort of a, a long-term foster care home sought after. And also that means that contact can still be maintained with birth parents where that's helpful, appropriate, safe, and also with siblings. Because unfortunately, one of the other injustices is that sibling groups are so often having to be separated and split up because there aren't fostering families, individuals, couples who are able to take in more than one or two. Um, and, you know, that's for any number of reasons. It's not always a lack of willingness. It's, usually, you know, often a lack of number of bedrooms um, in the house. But unfortunately, we're finding more and more siblings growing up separated in the care system. And long-term foster care, in theory, allows for that connection to be maintained and, and maybe two, three, four visits um, that happen uh, across the course of a year. Adoption is when a child, it's been decided that that is the best option for them for permanence. And they then are, someone is then adopted into your family. They become, um, uh, after all of the legal uh, stuff has gone through, you are then, you have full parental responsibility for them and raise them as you would any birth child, or you, you have the same sort of rights and responsibilities um, uh, as you would for any birth children. The reason I slightly shifted what I said there about you'd raise them just the same is that you don't raise them just the same in the sense that the kind of parenting approach that's required when children have experienced trauma where there are additional needs is necessarily different. It's not yeah. to do with how you feel about that child. It's just to do with what that child um, uh, would need. So that's kind of a 
a brief kind of overview of what those are. Supported lodgings is for teenagers and there isn't parental responsibility that you have for that teenager, but you become that network of support for them. You become that uh, bridge into um, independence and adulthood. You know, it's helping them. How do you budget? How do you cook? How do you turn the washing machine on? You know, all of those things that so many of us rely on friends and fam for. I've got this bill. I've just opened up this scary bit of paperwork. What do I need to do with it? Do I need to do something with it? Actually, everybody should have that. Everybody should have that to continue to come back to, to continue to feel like they belong to and are loved by. And too many teenagers don't have it. And it's not right. I certainly wouldn't have been ready for the world at 16. You know, it's just, oh dear. Yeah. So what what does the process for fostering and adoption look like? And how does Home for Good help with that? So... There is, rightly so, a fairly rigorous assessment for prospective foster carers and adoptive parents. And the reason I say that that is right is because we are those who would step into looking after children with vulnerabilities, children and young people with an experience of care and trauma with with needs. And so it is right that we are, there's a real rigorous assessment of our kind of suitability to do that. So there's stage one and stage very broadly speaking, the sort of first stage is largely administrative, lots of checks, you know, your DBS checks, your references, your health checks, all of that kind of um, stuff, your introduction to a, a social worker who would journey with you. And then the second stage of the assessment really involves you getting to know a social worker really well and them getting to know you really well. So they will ask you all sorts of things about past relationships, about your family, about how you were brought up, about other children who may already be in your home and how you parent them. And the reason that they do that is not because they're trying to catch you out. There's a real misconception that social workers are anti-Christians. And in our experience, that is absolutely not the case. But the reason that they're asking all of that is they're wanting to know, can this individual couple, can this family are they ready now at this time to care for a child or young person or children? And what age and stage, what might they be willing and able uh, to care for? So they'll ask questions around, you know, what your capacity is. Is is it one child, two child, four children that you might be able to care for? Uh, Talking with you around uh, whether you might be able to care for a child with complex medical needs, all sorts of things like that will be um, a sort of, talked about through that process home for goods part in it is that we have the privilege of being a journeying organization and so right from perhaps somebody listening to this podcast going ah, oh, I wonder I've always wondered if it might be for me somebody on the end of an inquiry line or on the end of an email um, to begin to listen to and also answer any questions that you've got before you contact any social workers before you've you know once you know you're ready for that just kind of exploring with yourself what might this mean I've got a few questions I haven't got a spare room does that matter what might be the impact for my birth children I'm a single person can I do you know all of those sorts of things we've got a team of people who would love to just be on the end of a call with you and journey that with you we have information sessions that we run every month beginning to unpack in much more detail and much better than I just have around what's fostering what's adoption what do you need who's suitable might I be and we do those online so it's accessible for anybody 
And then we have something called the Foundations course, which is six weeks online, an hour and a half of an evening over those six weeks where we explore, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible have to say about caring for children and young people? What does the Bible have to say um, about this? What is fostering a dog? You know, going into a bit more depth on some of these things, hearing stories from other people who are currently doing it, learning from professionals in the field. Um, and we have the privilege of doing that um, six times a year. And on each of those courses, there's between 20 and 50 households just exploring whether for them at that time this could be something that they pursue and so at every point of that journey and then onwards we're able to connect with commissioners with local authorities social services around the UK that we're partnered with agencies that we're partnered with to say you know if there's a point at which you get to me say okay, I'm ready to now be connected with social services we can connect you with people that we know and have a relationship uh, with but throughout the journey from that first little moment of I wonder to child children moving in and then way beyond we journey alongside and we want to connect individuals and couples and families and churches and inspire and equip and resource whole communities really to go on a journey together around some of this stuff so that's the privilege of the part that we get to play as well as continuing to bang the drum for churches and christians around the uk to go come on guys what's our part in this yeah, absolutely. So just picking up on what you said a little bit about some of the questions that you that you get and thinking about like this podcast audience is mainly mums. Um so for people who are cons- you know who might be listening who are considering fostering or adoption. Um <clears throat> I suppose because it's it's something that we've thought about actually as a family not not yet but um because we haven't got a spare room. Um, <laughs> So just to ask a couple of questions that someone who already has um, children might ask. So firstly, what do you need to foster or adopt? And secondly, yeah, what about the impact on your own children who you already have? Um, Yeah, if you could speak into those a little bit, that'd be awesome. So you do need to have a spare room, and that is quite often a barrier for people to be able to do it. Again, if we're talking about systemic barriers, unfortunately, those the areas of the UK where there is sometimes the greatest need as also um, overlays with some areas that are the most economically deprived. And therefore, though there may be many willing people within that space, simply don't have a spare room to be able to offer. Um, but... Um, that's the that's the situation. So you need to be able to have a spare um, you need to have a spare room be, uh, for uh, any child or children who would come and uh, live with you. And you need and is is that a spare room per child or if you've got siblings, for instance? Well, again, my answer to a lot of these things then becomes it depends. Different authorities, agencies have then different outworkings of that. So it is generally seen that a new child coming into your family needs a room of their own. If they are coming as a sibling group, that may be different according to their age and their stage. Um, For some people, that feels quite difficult because you think, well, I grew up with my sister and I was shared a room with them. And I I understand all of those things. but that's that's kind of the, the general thing is you need a, a spare room where there are sibling groups involved. 
there there are likely to be differences but again that's something that regionally um one of the things that is great to journey with you know our team would be able to look into the specifics of uh, of locally um for anybody who was kind of interested in that there needs to be a willingness to go through the process and to have be be willing to explore and talk about uh, some of the things that I sort of mentioned earlier because social workers are not trying to catch us out, but they do need to be able to understand who we are so that they can advocate for us as individuals or couples uh, with the panel who then make the ultimate decision around, yes, this person is approved to foster or adopt. Um, And there needs to be an element of financial stability demonstrated as in will there be enough income is there enough kind of within this house to be able to sustain another uh, child or children coming into this home with fostering there is a fostering allowance that comes which seeks to cover some of that again that does not it's not like there's a minimum amount (laughs) minimum income required but they will look into and want to understand uh, that for you Uh, it doesn't you don't have to own your own home you can be in a rented home you can have pets as long as they're not pets that are likely to savage children (laughs) or teenagers that come into your home which are unlikely if you're mostly uh, mums that are listening to this you know all of those sorts of things but there aren't many reasons there aren't many things that would prevent people from um, coming forward the impact on children birth children already within the home is something really important to consider. I think that it is, it would be foolish to say that this is a decision that we made just my husband and I, we've made the decisions in the way that we've grown our family and the timings based on what we believe God was asking us to do and calling us to, but also very much with our other children in the home in mind because it does have an impact anybody that has gone from one to two or two to three or three to four children will know that it has an impact I remember when our first our daughters came home they came home within two months of each other and so we went from naught to two within two months oh my goodness and I remember about a month in going I don't think I'm ever going to leave the house again. Okay, this is my life. I now live <laughs> in this cul-de-sac. This is, I, this is, and 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 then and then when the third one came, I, I remember having that same. Oh, how do how do we? Oh, I'm never going to leave now. Um, but each time you do and you grow and it, you know, it, it changes. So there's an element where growing your family in in that way impacts whoever and however a child comes in but it is fair to say that any child who comes in with an experience of trauma may well bring additional complexity there may be additional learning needs there may be additional complex medical needs there may be none of uh, the above but even if there isn't anything outwardly presenting you know babies um, who come in at, at two three months on all of them have experienced trauma and loss and therefore there will be an impact that they carry within them and so there will be times where you're balancing how do I if you're a foster carer how do I go do contact twice a week with birth mother but it's also recorder club or football club how do I how do I do this there will be times where though that juggle is a very real thing there will be times where there will be decisions to be made that will be stretching that's why we believe the church is like 
key to this because I know for us, if it hadn't been for our church community in some of the challenge that has come, we wouldn't have surfaced from a couple of moments of it. But it's because people, you know, practically, oh, yeah, I can take, you know, child number three to football or I can take, you know, practically can wrap around and do some of those things but also arrive with a bottle of wine or a bar of chocolate and an opportune moment, pray for you and with you. And, and so that sort of wraparound, one of the things before you step into it would be, who are those people? Who are our, who's our community that's going to be able to do that stuff for us? There are, there is no doubt in my mind that all of our children have been impacted by all of the other children. Uh, we we adopted first. That's the way we grew our family first and then had our birth child um, fourth. And there is no doubt that there are complexities in his home life that had we not adopted first or fostered that he would not have experienced. And I wonder how much of the character that he has wouldn't have grown as it has done had those things not been there. Now, of course, there's going to be decisions throughout the journeying of fostering and adoption where you think, is this right? Are we able to do what's best for all of the children in our care? And that's an ongoing conversation. But our youngest um, just had his first ever report and alongside some brilliantly hilarious observations that uh, his teacher made of him and his character one thing that she highlighted was his support for and kindness to another boy mm. in his class who himself is care experienced, though his teacher doesn't know that I know that, but I have connected with yeah. uh, the family. And this mm. little boy really struggles with lots of things that go on in school that feels very familiar to us as those who have raised children and sent them through school uh, with an experience of trauma before. And for whatever reason, our youngest has buddied up with and been a support to this other little boy. They have a great friendship. I don't suppose that our youngest is going, well, I know about this, so I'm going to very conscious. No, but there's something in him that sort of recognises that. And I don't know if that would have been there had it not been. Maybe it would have been. But I, I think on the balance of things, there's more to be gained than there is to be lost. But there is cost. And me, as as a what I do, but also as home for good, we want to be really honest about the fact that there is cost, there is pain, there is challenge in this. It would have been a lot easier to build our family differently. But I'm not sure that Jesus always causes, calls us to an easy life. I'm not sure that following him with everything equals cushy life. And so I return to the call often at this time of year, end of term. I return to the call very, very often because it's challenging, because it's discombobulating for many of us. It's dysregulating for my big three kids. It's challenging. And yet, for all that they may or may not, the kids with us now and, and those that we've cared for in the past, they may or may not say, you know, we we made X difference. The truth is that I've been shaped more by them. My character has been grown. And my prayer is that for all of them, they're grown more by having 
one another in their lives and their understanding and their compassion and their ability to see others in the world is more grown by that. And sometimes it feels like we've got days where we're like, yes. And then other days it's like, no. <laughs> and that's the reality. Uh, that's the reality um, uh, of it. And there are some days where it feels too much and mm. too complex and it feels like nobody gets the best of anything. Mm. And that's where the church, that's where our community, that's where our people step in. And I'll send a text to a couple of great, great friends without whom we could not continue to do life in the way that we do and go, would you like to take one, two, three, <laughs> five, you know, um, and they just do because they scoop them up. They love them. They care for them. They believe in them and they love us. Mm -hmm. And so um, it may not be that it's for everyone to do themselves but everyone's got something they can do um to make a real difference absolutely you've, you've answered one of my latest questions I was going to ask you a lot about because one of the visions I had for this podcast was that we can talk about um how we can be salt and light to one another and you paint a really beautiful vision of of what the church can be for uh parents who are fostering and adopting of you know just that practical help sounds like also just just being able to listen you know being an ear with no judgment of um you know the complexities that and challenges that um parents of cared for children are going through um and like you say just turning up with a bottle of wine or a bar of chocolate praise the lord yes <laughs> It's manner from heaven. Some days it feels like <laughs> just, just that sort of God-given thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just one final question. You sort of alluded to it a lot throughout the podcast, but what are the, some of the biggest challenges parents of, of children who are adopting or, or fostering face? Um, I think that it is really tough on the heart I think the thing that I find most difficult particularly having built our family with adoption fostering and through birth I think seeing and experiencing firsthand however imperfectly and I cannot stress that enough however imperfectly uh, we parent all of our kids there is a in our youngest who is our birth child there is an inbuilt connection attachment trust that is so deep rooted that it's the basis from which he forms every other relationship which the lack of which is so apparent in in children who have had an experience of trauma and in my home that you know in the in our three older ones and how that works out is that i see my youngest able to participate in and enjoy and yes, be challenged by and upset by, you know, the injustice of they've got my ball and I want the ball, you know, all of that stuff, but able to access and enjoy so much that life has to offer in a way that is sort of free from obstacles, largely that by free from obstacles. I mean, the obstacles that I see his older siblings having, you know, ability to handle disappointment, ability to regulate emotions, ability to uh, build and form and, and grow strong relationships. All of that stuff is quite tricky in different ways. It looks so different in all children. 
Um, and so that's quite tough on the heart as a mum. Yeah, I absolutely. have wept, sobbed at. I had two sports days in two rows and some two days, sorry. And sometimes sports days can make us weep for all kinds of reasons. But the the contrast between my boys of one who my five-year-old running along, I went, you know, go, go, go. I was cheering and he stopped and he waved. And I mean, just having a lovely, lovely time, just really lovely, oblivious to, you know, just having a glorious, everything that a sports day should be for a five-year-old. And then the next day, the difference in how difficult my 10-year-old has, and he has um, autistic spectrum disorder with pathological demand avoidance is that is the terminology and, and all kinds of other things, which mean that Something like sports day is just massively difficult for him on a sensory level, on a practical level, on an emotional. I mean, there's just so much that makes that sort of day difficult. And so he really desperately wanted to participate and join in and be part of it and enjoy it. But there were so many things that made that so different. And so I was having a little tears of delight as I watched my youngest just loving it and then I just cried behind my sunglasses on the second one because his just how hard so many normal things of life are and so your question to like what's the most challenging I think that's one of the things that's most challenging and it feels like and again this is where the church I think can play such a part it feels like in every sphere and in every context that parents and carers are they have to advocate for often quite ferociously to get basic <laughs> um, provision, uh, basic needs of their children or their child met, just basic access to things um, and basic sort of pursuit of justice. And I think that the toll that that can take is, is really significant. And it's hard to explain that or express that other than to people who get it. Now, there are probably a number of your listeners who have got children with additional needs, children who've walked through challenging circumstances. And so we get glimpses of, oh, I didn't know what it was like until my child experienced X. Well, that's kind of, that's how it is for those raising and loving, fostered and adopted um, children. And there can be an isolation that comes with that. And actually having people around who want to understand, who ask questions to understand, who make themselves, you know, it's impossible to ignore their offers of support and help actually can make all of the difference. And one of the things that's happening in the care system right now is that as, as quickly as foster carers are, are being recruited, actually people are leaving. And the reason that they're stepping out of it is because they don't have the network of support around them to help from low level things to to bigger things well that's where the church feels to me like but that's what we're here for to be salt and light with one another to be connected to genuinely do life with one another and i am so grateful for our friends who we can rock up and our four can be in whatever state they are in and can behave you know, we know behaviour is communication, right? They can be communicating through whatever behaviour in however way, you know, they are. And they're loved and accepted, and so are we. Um, and there isn't that. I was just, we were at a party recently, and half of the people there were sort of people that we knew, and half of the people, roughly half the people there that we didn't know. And there was a moment where 
and from our uh, people that we knew were from our church community and we knew quite well and there was a moment where my one of my uh, kids just made quite a shrill uh noise in response to something that had um happened and i watched as half the people around him just didn't bat an eyelid because like we we know him that's what's going on he's you know i watched a couple of people checking in that it was okay but not really batting an eyelid. And I watched the other half, not being unkind in any way, but just kind of reacting, responding. And I thought that the power of being known as a family and and for him to be known in that place. Now, I don't know how many Bible stories he's going to remember from his times when he's able to be in sort of groups on a Sunday. But I know that he's loved and knows he's loved and known. And that as a mum, you can't put a value um i can't put a value on that and his life their lives are immeasurably richer because of the village around us that it takes to raise them um more so than ever i think with our with absolutely our absolutely oh it's just it's it's so sad i usually used to babysit for a child who uh was taken into the care system at 18 months and um you know what you're saying about the the chase is is literally a brain change isn't it like that sort of trauma and um for her it came out for years as as anger um and she had no additional needs in an educational perspective but just this red mist would descend and she just could not regulate that and you think you think 18 months oh they've you know they've they won't remember that won't, won't have affected them that much but um, I read something recently and saying that even babies who are taken away on the first day after they're they're born can show signs of trauma and that you know that breaking of that bond and it's yeah. When I when we when I gave birth to our youngest, you know, sort of ten hours in the the big three traipses in to come and see the new sibling, and um, he was very happily. You know, we were passing him around for the obligatory pictures and all of that stuff. Um, and he was very happy, wasn't distressed, uh, even, you know, as slightly I was watching his head being cradled-ish, you know, all but he was he was he was fine as he's being passed around. <clears throat> but I noticed when he came back to me, there was like a like a settling because he'd known my heartbeat, he'd known my voice for nine, ten months. And even when a child and none of my other three were able to remain in that place of familiarity and though each of them had brilliant extraordinary care and love lavished on them by foster carers it's not the same they every child who is not able to grow up with their birth family in whatever circumstances experience trauma and loss and it literally rewires like you said it literally rewires the brain and it's a lifelong it's a lifelong journey to understanding and responding to and accepting and recovering from some of the impacts of that let alone any of the other things that may have gone on to mean that a child has come into care um but having enough people who get it who don't assume that oh they because they don't have conscious memories of it therefore they should be fine or that you can love somebody enough. If love was enough, that would be so glorious. Love is extraordinary. God's love is incredible. But actually, there's there's other things that we 
that our children need, as well as rich, deep, extravagant, lavish love, in spite of what they may or may not do or bring um, to the table, based on what they're based on what they're feeling. And sometimes they can articulate that, and sometimes they can't. And yeah. Well, Claire, I could literally talk to you all day. I've got so many questions. <laughs> Me and my husband, we, we watched um, Instant Family the other day. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And we were yeah. sobbing. It was, our, it was our wedding anniversary as well. And we're like, what if we watched this? It's meant to be a celebration day. <laughs> but it's a very funny film. And I know it's, it's like Hollywood yeah. romantic views yeah. but it's it's based yeah. on a true story I think isn't it but um yeah we 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 have thought quite a lot about fostering being in our future so mm. um yeah mm. I'd love to talk to you mm. all day about it <laughs> yeah well I'm really up for that anytime as you can tell it's something that I really just I love and I believe passionately in it's the hardest thing I've ever done and the greatest yeah. thing I've ever done in equal measure sometimes I can see so. it it's just the passion's yeah. just bubbling out of you it's amazing <laughs> Um, you're a real advocate <laughs> for it and um, so if people want to find out a little bit more about home for good how do they do that hmm. homeforgood.org.uk you can find out everything that we do there follow us on socials um, at homeforgood.org.uk we have recently released the first mini series of a podcast called racial justice and finding homes really great rich conversation hosted by david Grant, who's himself an adoptive dad, but bringing together people exploring the racial disparity in the mm. care system and what we can do about that. So that's a, a first uh, a place that if people are podcasting, people who enjoy podcasts might want to go in that. But you can phone or email Home for Good at any point about anything. There's no compulsion. There's not a time limit. There's not. A, you know, there's no kind of uh, expectation of what success or the right journey is we're really passionate about journeying well with people um, and it's equally as um, great for us when somebody journeys with us and then decides that this time isn't the right time or that this what they thought was the right thing isn't for them that's okay because at the end of it are people who are better equipped more ready more able to give homes at the right time for the right yeah. kids um so yeah get in touch connect uh, with us whether it's something you're interested in yourself you know people who are and want to think about supporting them or you just want to connect your church with us to kind of think more about how could we be an even better place of welcome in our kids work in our youth work as families as churches to think about this we'd love to be in awesome contact. well i'll share all those links on our show notes so before right. we go, Thank sorry, you. I appreciate we're running a little bit over time. Um, can I pray for you? Is that okay? Yeah, of course you can. Awesome. Yeah, great. Lord, we, we just thank you for Claire and her passion and um her and her family's um the way that they've answered your call, Lord, to to foster, to adopt, to support um children in, in care. And um we pray for your blessing on her family and um we play, pray for wisdom and energy and um uh peace for for claire as she continues that journey with her family and um we pray for claire's work and for home for good and we pray that um the people who are listening today and the people that home for good are, are talking to are receptive to this call of justice and um we pray that um yeah that our is our listening to your call if that is for our families lord 
And also we pray, Lord, for churches and, and for ourselves that we can be salt and light to families who are fostering, who are adopting. I pray that we can be that supportive ear or that bringer of chocolate and wine or that, <laughs> or just there to scoop people up a little bit sometimes, Lord, and just offer some practical help. Mm. In your name we pray. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank Claire. you. No worries. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Remember, all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already. And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time.